Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 26, which can be found on page 1026 of the Pew Bibles. So that's Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 26. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your word that your word remains living and active, that it still speaks to us, and your words to your disciples all those years ago are just as poignant words to us this morning. And so we pray that you would speak into our lives in a fresh way, that we would hear from you the things that you desire to say to each of us and to all of us together as a church. Ultimately, Lord, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some things are too good for us to move on from quickly. And Easter is certainly one of those occasions. The good news of the resurrection of Jesus has repercussions for the whole world that reverberates, and it has a resonance that lives deeply in the life of every person who calls themselves a follower of Jesus. And it's for these reasons that we choose to linger on Easter as a church. We are looking closely at that good way of Jesus, and we're naming together that that way of Jesus is the very way of life. That as Jesus says, he is the resurrection and the life. And in our identifying ourselves with him, we're saying we don't only give our intellectual assent to his goodness, but we also choose to conform ourselves to him too. We learn his ways. We take his yoke upon us, not because we must, but because we may and because he says it is easy and light and rest for our souls. And so last week, Phil began this sermon series by identifying that we are all shaped by something, that the ways we behave and the things that we do are informed by the things that we believe about ourselves and the things that we believe about our world and that we've all learned to believe those things from somewhere maybe from our parents, or our culture, or just our experiences of life. And he challenged us, Phil did, to consider that citizenship in God's kingdom and the reward for which we run 
requires some acclimation, some training, some practice is required. As the Apostle Paul said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And so with that, Phil challenged you to pause at various points throughout this past week and to just write down, record how you spend your time to notice what you've been training yourselves for, to begin to question why you have the habits that you have, and to consider what those habits are producing in your life. What fruit has there been because of those things? And I really hope that you had at some point in the last week an opportunity to do that, because we'll come back to it again later. And maybe if you haven't done that yet, just make a note for yourself to do it this week. Today, we look at the first step of practicing resurrection life, and that is to die. The reality of resurrection is that it presupposes death. And so, if we want to be resurrection people, we need to also become people who die. Jesus knew this to be true. He had no illusion that he would somehow usher in the resurrection of the dead without first joining their number. Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. There's going to be a resurrection. Jesus knows that. He shaped his whole ministry around that. He's aware of the tremendous hope for the world that will rest in that marvelous reality. But before he gets there, he knows that he must suffer. He knows that he must be killed. Only then will he be raised. Because there's no other way to resurrection. So surely these were chilling words for Jesus' disciples to hear from their master. But he gives them almost no time to process this new information as he pushes on to invite them into that same resurrection life. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. These men, you have to know, just earlier in chapter 9, had gone out preaching the kingdom of God and healing the sick. And they took nothing with them but just trusted in God's provision. And then when they returned to Jesus with all these stories, they witnessed how he miraculously fed a large crowd with meager rations. And then just a couple verses earlier, they finally proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah of God. And now he tells them this, whoever wants to be my disciple must die, take up their cross, and follow me. So you can imagine that there really wasn't much of a choice for these people. They've seen who he is. They're going to choose to learn firsthand the way of Jesus that begins in death and leads to life. We are a church on mission together. We have a mission statement, and you hear it every week, so I want you to say it with me. We're a church that's following Jesus, loving the city, and serving the world. You know it. 
And we start out by saying that following Jesus is the primary purpose of our fellowship together. It's what we're doing here this morning. It's what informs every ministry and event that we participate in. We've said that we're people who are following Jesus before anything else, and Jesus says that to be his disciple, to follow him, is to deny ourselves. To follow him is to take up our crosses. And so I wonder, church, how are we doing at that? How are we doing at denying ourselves as individuals in this larger community? Just for yourself in your heart right now, answer some of these questions. How often do your personal preferences come up as a matter of primary concern? Do you care more about feeling comfortable and entertained and catered to than you do about denying yourself and following Jesus wherever he might be leading us and serving your brothers and sisters no matter the cost? If that's you, if that's you even a little bit this morning, Jesus invites you once more to practice resurrection, to die to yourself, to choose to follow in his way. And again, how are we doing in this together as a church family? As we prepare to read the annual report that will come out in just a week or two, we should be asking these kinds of questions about the ministry year ahead of us. How much of all that stuff is rooted in the leading of Jesus, in service to our neighbors, in the denial of the very things that we might quite like to have in a church that we attend, but what what Jesus is calling us to sacrifice for the sake of something better that God wants to do with our church instead? And then how are we doing with this question individually? of daily taking up our crosses when we're not in the huddle here on Sunday mornings, but when we're actually out there participating in the games which Paul wrote about. How much of our work and our leisure and our time with our family and friends is actually centered primarily on our goals, on our desires, on our good, over and against, as distinct from the goals of the God that we follow and the good of the very people we are being led to love and to serve. I hope you were honest as you answered those questions for yourself. We all need to be honest in answering those kinds of questions. Together, we have to be frank in our appraisal of these things in our community because Jesus makes that his chief concern and he makes that completely non-negotiable. To follow Jesus is to die. There's no other way about it. This has always been affirmed by the Christian church. Every time somebody is baptized, we baptize them into the death of Jesus so that they can be raised into the life of Jesus as well. So death is a difficult but necessary part of this deal. We practice death to learn resurrection. This pattern of practicing death is not just about our physical death. Though many Christians continue to die for their faith, Jesus isn't saying that unless you're a martyr, you have no part in him. What he's saying is that the lives we live must be lives in which we are living martyrs. 
literally lives as living witnesses to the work that God is already doing in our midst, in which we actively renounce the pattern of living for ourselves, of living for maximum pleasure or or to gain notoriety or to be valued by the world. We must be willing to lose the lives which until now have defined us, to be an obedient follower of Jesus first before anything else, before family even, or job, or hobbies, and to be so formed by Jesus that surely all those other things will benefit from our devotion to him as well. This is the paradox in Jesus' words. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever wants to preserve their way and their will, they're not going to get it. Whoever clings to the perishable crowns of this world will miss the imperishable that's right in front of them. And at the same time, Jesus says, whoever loses their life for him will save it. When you can relinquish your desire for the sake of Christ, then and only then will you find that all your desires have been most fully met in him. When you are willing to be obedient, even to submit yourself to death each day and to go trusting at the last to your grave, in each of those moments, by faith, you will encounter the resurrection life of our God, free from clinging to the passing away free from defining yourself by what you can be on your own, free at last to realize the full and good life that has been waiting for you on the other side of every hope that has ever burdened your heart, every expectation for your life that you've had that your life has fallen short of, of every dream that you could never see realized. Finally, full and complete life. This is our hope. Every day, dying to ourselves. And every day, rising to new life. That's the pattern of our lives until ultimately all of our rehearsing is fully realized in God's coming kingdom. Every day, we renounce pride and die to ourselves, and we rise realizing Jesus' promise that we will inherit the earth. Every day we renounce injustice and we let our timelines and our broken ideas of righteousness pass away. And we rise to trust Jesus' promise that we will be satisfied. Every day renouncing war and strife, we work for peace in our city and we rise to realize that we are rightly called children of God. I hope that you're noticing the pattern To rise, we have to die. And so too, to enact the good works of resurrection life, we must first let go of everything else that gets in the way of those works. And the things that get in the way of that work are not only the things which we might call sin in the church. These things are not only the bad and the evil stuff of the world that we must choose to renounce to put aside in order to enter into resurrection life. But these things are just anything that we put before Jesus is leading or which encourages us not to follow so closely. 
to only listen in from a distance. So what are those responsibilities and activities and relationships and desires which you need to let die so that you can find your life more completely in Jesus? There's no question that all those other things are maybe worthwhile, maybe even good. But as Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and lose their very self? Jesus desires that you find yourself first in him, putting away all other identity, losing all other purpose, relinquishing all other desires. And then, in that place of sureness with Jesus, to find that your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. You see, this is different than the asceticism we see in other world religions. This renunciation is different than the kind of just rejecting everything good in the world and living off by yourself somewhere in the desert place. Jesus isn't asking his disciples to deny themselves just for the practice of being detached from the world. He's inviting them to deny themselves so that they might increase in Christlikeness, that they might grow in compassion for the needs of the world, to put others' needs before their own desires, that in fact the world might become more meaningful to them, might be loved more fully by the Christian church, might mean as much as it means to the God who created it in our singular devotion to following Him above all else. In the same way, when we participate in resurrection and renunciation, when we deny ourselves, it's not just for the sake of learning to say no, but it's also for the purpose of having the capacity within our lives and within ourselves to say a more genuine yes to the movement of God, to be more committed to following Jesus and to find even better life in Him, not only for ourselves, but for each person and place that He leads us to. I don't think I'm telling you new information when I say that there's only so much each of us can do. There's only so much we can focus on, only so many hours in a day. And to follow Jesus well, to follow him fully into his death and triumphantly into his new life, requires that space be made for those things. People say all the time, I, I want to pray more, but with that comes the commitment to do something else less. People want to read more books, but they don't want to give up watching as much Netflix as they do, right? Like everything has a trade-off. And so in this renunciation, we're carving out the time and the space to die to ourselves, to say no to those desires which might be good, might have a place sometimes, but can eat up our time and blind us to where Jesus is leading us. And so this is why I hope that you did make that list that Phil invited you to make last week. And if you didn't make it, I hope that you will this week make a record of how you actually spend your time. And then this coming week, I want you to use it to identify the things that need to die, the things that you need to deny yourself or to allow yourself less of, 
What might you need to renounce in order to practice death to yourself for, the, for a much better thing that Jesus is inviting you into? I'm not sure how many of you read the bulletin before the service starts, but you'll notice at the back, we are inviting you into 11 days of prayer between Ascension and Pentecost. Ascension is the day when we remember Jesus ascending into heaven and leaving his disciples. And when he did that, he told them to stay in Jerusalem, to stay and to pray and to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so for that time, we're praying as a church, and some of it is physical. 7.30 a.m. here, we're praying. And if you want to join us, that's going to take some sacrifice. But Jesus, inviting his disciples to stay in Jerusalem, took some sacrifice too. They gave up their jobs and even their aspirations for ministry to stay in a room and to pray. Not to share the gospel, not to catch fish. They renounced a life that they were waiting for to obey Jesus. And so, this next week, you have some time before ascension to consider what you might die to. What thing you might give up, even for a time, to follow this invitation from your pastors and your elders to participate in resurrection life in this place? Church, in closing, you need to know that it's only when we deny ourselves that we'll find that we're even willing to take up a cross at all. And it's only when we have the weight of carrying that cross that we'll finally be able to follow Jesus at his slow, unhurried, intentional pace. Without rushing along to get to the concerns of our lives and our world, Jesus invites you and he invites us to follow him, to take joy in his call and to know that in losing ourselves, we will find our truest selves in him. In surrendering our way, we will find glorious victory with him in his way. And most truly, in dying, we will find eternal life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, it's hard to hear you say that anyone who wants to follow you must deny themselves and take up their cross and then follow. We want to follow, but on our terms. We want to follow, but with burdens we choose. We want to be in this community as long as it's a church that sings our songs and does our activities. We want to serve you in the world as long as it's convenient and we can do what we want with most of our time. And so you really push against all of that. And we know that dying to ourselves is going to be tough. And so we pray for your strength. We pray for your Holy Spirit's guidance to show us those things that we can shed that we can renounce, that we can turn away from in order to say a better yes to you. Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. And we know of no better way to the Father except through you. And your way leads through the grave. 
And so we pray that you would lead us through the grave today into new life. That this coming week you would lead each of us through the grave into life you've prepared for us. And that the last we would trust in you for full and true life. We pray all this in your name. Amen.